Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to continue in this study from last week. And just in getting ready for this, I realize I think this is going to be a three-parter, and that's all right. But I just want to take my time through this because this is such an important subject when we're dealing with the end times and end times prophecy because we're dealing basically with the mystery of iniquity. And when you're talking about the mystery of iniquity, just categorize with that, that, that phrase, put along with that the word Antichrist because that's what you're talking about. When you talk about the mystery of iniquity, you're talking about the Antichrist and the fulfillment of the Antichrist prophecies. So, the uh, mystery of iniquity. I don't know. I, I think maybe guys are like that more than ladies. I'm not sure. But I, in my mind, I kind of have a filing cabinet. And I have a file <laughs> for mystery of iniquity. And then there goes Antichrist. And uh, I think men kind of compartmentalize maybe more than ladies do. So, Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll begin at verse 1. Just do a review a little bit of a review there. Verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren. Remember we talked last time that Paul is, is pleading. He's imploring. He's trying to help him, And he's trying to help him to get back on the same page with him. And to follow his leadership. And to follow his teaching alone. And to the exclusion of all other teachers. So he says, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And by our gathering together unto Him. Now he said, by our coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians to see how Paul used that phrase, the coming of our Lord. When he uses that in referring to the church, he's talking about the rapture of the church. So verse 1 has to do with the rapture. But let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 25, just so you can see it. And quite a bit of page turning tonight. It's the only way to study the Bible uh, or to learn it or to be convinced. You know, so that you're not going out of here saying, well, Pastor John says this. I want you to say the Bible says this. And as best as we can understand, this is what the Bible's teaching. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So for the church, Jesus Christ is coming back for us. He's going to gather His church and take us to be with Him in heaven, just like He told the disciples in John chapter 14. And there's a practical aspect to all of this prophecy. He wants us to be preserved, spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved blameless, that is to be kept from this world. And to walk worthy, unpolluted by this world. Uh, unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, now look at chapter 4. You can see the same thing in chapter 4 verse 15. Paul talks again about the coming of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So Paul is talking here about the rapture of the church. And he said, we won't, we won't go up before those that are in the ground. They'll go up first before us. And then we'll rise 
shortly thereafter. Moment, it'll be just, it'll be so fast, I don't know that we'll know the difference. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comforting words. Comforting words. For the believer. Chapter 5, it says, We're not appointed unto wrath. But I've got a message for you that's comforting. The Lord is going to come back and He's going to gather His children to Himself in the air, in the clouds. Remember we studied the differences between the resurrections in the Bible? This one happens in the air. We studied the difference of, of uh, when Jesus Christ comes back. And the first advent, He was born into this world of a virgin. The second advent, or the second coming, He touches down on the Mount of Olives. Uh, he does not touch down here. It's in the air. So this is the rapture of the church. And so when Paul talks about the coming of the Lord, he's speaking about the rapture of the church. So back at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, I beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, just put in your mind, or maybe even in your margin, right beside verse 1, the rapture. We are going to be gathered together unto Christ. Verse 2, That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. We talked about that a little bit last time, but this is a troubled church. There was trouble in the church in Thessalonica. Paul was dealing uh, with, with really two problems. One, false teachers that were telling the church that the rapture has already occurred. If you just read verse 2 and 3 together, look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So last time we talked about how false teachers had come in and confused the people. And what it amounts to is they said, the rapture has already occurred, you have missed it. And, uh, and that had not happened. That was one trouble in the church. The second trouble was they were being persecuted. First chapter of the same book, you can read about it in verse uh, 4. They were persecuted. They were hurt. People were either making threats against their lives or persecuting them with bodily injury and death. Verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Do you remember who was persecuting the church at first in this first century? Where did the persecution come from? Do you remember? It came from several groups. Eventually it would be Rome, but not yet. And Rome's persecution was severe and wicked, cruel. But uh, the first persecution came from the Jews, remember? Saul himself was a Jew. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was sent with letters from the synagogue in Jerusalem to go and to persecute the church. To find anybody that claimed to be following Jesus... Because Jesus claimed to be God, 
He claimed to be equal with the Father. Jesus actually received worship from people. He received prayers. You don't pray to anybody but a deity. Jesus would say, ask anything in my name and I'll, I'll give it to you. So Jesus was saying, if you ask me, I'll give it to you. So they, they hated Jesus. They hated followers of the way. Because the Jews are monotheists. There's only one God. And, that, and the Christians are monotheists too. But they didn't understand the relationship between the Father and the Son. And so there was Jewish persecution. And these believers in Thessalonica, they were Gentile believers primarily. But the Jews were going and killing anybody trying to get rid of this new sect. Because it started with the Jews. And then it went to the Gentiles. And uh, that, that kind of persecution was fierce. And he said this in verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment, there in chapter 1, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So there's trouble in the church. They're suffering persecution. And then verse 6, it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Do you know that during the tribulation period that the martyred saints from the church age, from the tribulation period, will be up in heaven praying, saying, Oh God, how long before you come down and judge this wicked world, especially those who persecuted and killed your people? They will be praying that God comes down and deals with this lost world in judgment. We can't imagine that kind of a prayer meeting, can we? We get together on Wednesday night and we pray, Lord, save them, have mercy upon them, have mercy upon this wicked country of ours. You know, we're, we're praying, God, have mercy and save it. Jesus said, love your enemies. That's what we're supposed to be doing now. But there's a, there's a change in God's dealings with men during the tribulation period. And Jesus, at the end of the tribulation period, finally answers their prayers and comes back and deals with this, this wicked and hateful world. Uh, but many, many will be saved from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, look at it, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may not believe it, but the Bible says if you reject Jesus... That you deserve punishment. That you're already condemned. And the Bible says that we deserve hell for our sins. And you really can't get saved until you understand that. I'm on my way to hell. And I'm going to have to go there and pay for my sins. And I deserve it. But God is loving and merciful and willing to forgive me. And to give me eternal life. But you see, we don't understand it from where we stand. It's hard for us to, 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 to understand that. But we're dealing with a God that says, I'm angry with the wicked every day. But He's just not pouring out His anger and His wrath now. There's coming a time for it. So uh, this is what Paul is saying to these believers. And this is how he's comforting those that are being persecuted. Saying, don't try to take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. So back in chapter 2, this troubled church... Troubled by false teachers and by persecution. Verse 3 now. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. Alright, what day? 
Well, uh, specifically, you're not wrong, but look at verse 2 at the end of verse 2. Day of Christ. Yeah, there's a difference. Newer Bibles change the day of Christ to the day of the Lord, and they're trying to help out God, trying to help Him with, you know, get His end times program straight. But no, it's the day of Christ. Uh, and they're different, but they, they like, I, like I've been explaining, the day of Christ overlaps the day of the Lord. But the day of Christ encompasses everything that Paul is going to talk about. And so, guys, just to let you know, um, if you're familiar with the name Kenneth Wiest, he's like one of the great heroes. Uh, a, he would be considered to be the expert, the premier expert on uh, the Greek language of the New Testament. And he's written many commentaries. And you'll hear preachers sometimes talking about golden nuggets out of the Greek original language of the New Testament and so on. Kenneth Wiest would actually change this chapter in his commentary on 2 Thessalonians to say not a falling away. Remember two things that have to happen, a falling away in verse 3. He would say that that's actually a mistranslation. It should be a, a falling upward. And he says that that actually refers to not a falling away, but, but to the falling upward of the church, a rapture of the church. So he's, he's way off. Um, this, a, a deep study in Greek will not help you to understand the Bible. What will help you to understand it is to take the authorized version and compare Scripture to Scripture. Now, Day of Christ encompasses everything that Paul is talking about. Remember? The rapture of the church. The next thing that we're going to go to after the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ. And then the marriage. will be married to Christ. We are His bride. He's not going to send His bride through the tribulation to let the devil beat the snot out of her. And not just the devil, but God's wrath poured out. Okay? Like God personally pouring out His wrath. We're not going to go through that. Um, The tribulation is going on during the judgment seat of Christ. Seven years of that. And then you have the second advent. All of those things are encompassed within that. And then the second advent, as well as the time of God's wrath, is also talked about in connection with the day of the Lord. And that's why I say, you're not wrong. But I, I just... The Lord wants us to understand these things, that this is in connection with the day of Christ. Alright? So, that day, the day of Christ, shall not come except two things, right? We talked about last week in detail the falling away. I don't want to go back through that again. The falling away. Uh, Listen to the recording from last week, some interesting information, how that's been happening. That has already happened. Believe me, that is fulfilled. And it just is getting worse. The falling away happens first. And that man of sin. Alright, who's the man of sin? Anyone remember? The Antichrist. Yeah. The Antichrist. That man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Alright. The man of sin. Let's deal with that first. Uh, Let me do it this way. I think you'll find this is, this is interesting. The man of sin, and then what's the next title given to him? Son of perdition. When the man of sin is revealed, we talked about it last time, how he is revealed. We went to Daniel. Remember, he signs that peace compact. So he will be revealed to whoever in the world is paying attention to Bible prophecy. 
Like when Christ came the first time, you had the Magi from the East, and they were paying attention to Bible prophecy. You'll have some in the tribulation. So here's, here's the man of sin. Um, I'm just going to have him as a very serious politician. Uh, people like him. Let's have some wavy hair. Um, he is all around just a great guy. Uh, very accepting, pluralistic. You know, everybody's going to love him. Yes. And he's going to have the answers that they are seeking for. So he is going to quickly win everyone's favor. He is the answer. He is going to make this world great again. It'll be similar to the way that people are just falling over themselves for uh, President Donald Trump. It'll be similar to that, but stronger. Um, I heard recently that, did you hear about that? Governor Rick DeSantis wanted to do a six-month ban. That was a six-week, six-month ban on abortions. I want to say six-week. And President Trump thought it was too strong to do a ban on abortion for that long. So I'm thinking, not sure where he stands on that issue. But anyways, you got the man of sin. Now, I'm not drawing a different man. This is the same man. But he's got a different title now. And there's a reason for that. The, the Bible never, never wastes words. Actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, well, I'll do that later. This second man is... I just got through saying there's not two men. This second stick figure that I'm drawing is the son of perdition. There's been a change. Okay, same guys, but there's been a great change. One of them being that he's got this patch over his right eye. Um, so let's look at that real quick. First of all, the man of sin. We're going to have to do some page turning. He is the Antichrist. This is what I believe prophetically. This is what the man of sin is. is uh, what he's going to be, what he's known as in the Bible for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. So, let me do this. So, there's the tribulation period. Uh, kicks off by the rapture of the church. Is, is accomplished by the second advent. Okay, seven years. That's the man for the first... Three and a half years. Okay, so let's look at some some verses for him. The second half, when the son of when the man of sin is revealed, in the first half, the peace treaty that he signs with Israel. And the second half he's revealed in a different way. He's revealed as the son of perdition. How is he revealed? Does anybody know just off the top of your head? How does the world know this man is not who he claimed to be? Yes. He, he sits down in the temple, declares that he is God. We read about that in verse 4. Who opposeth. So he opposes God and exalteth. Those are two things that he's going to do. He's going to oppose himself against God. And he's going to exalt himself above all that is called God. So whether it's the God of the Jews, Jehovah, 
the God of the Muslims, uh, Allah, or the God of any one of these people with all their idols and everything. All that is called God, no matter what it is, the, the great white spirit, whatever. He's going to oppose all that is called God, and he is going to sit down in the Jewish uh, temple and declare that he himself is God. And declare that he must be worshipped. So that as God he sitteth in the temple of God and so on. So he will be revealed then. But let's look at a little bit more detail as to how he is revealed. Look at John chapter 17. So I'm going to tell you what I believe about the Antichrist. And I believe it because it's what Jesus clearly says. So John chapter 17. I don't understand all of it. But we're just going to take the plain statements of the Bible, and Jesus clearly tells us who the son of perdition is. So, John 17, verse 12. I'm going to round about four references here. He clearly tells us who the son of perdition is, and we're going to learn how he is revealed. Uh, a, a revelation or a revealing is just to, to be exposed. You know, if I were to cover this this lectern up with a blanket, like a throw blanket or something, if I were to cover it up and you were to come into the church for the first time, you might not know what's behind here. But once I unveil it, I reveal what's behind the blanket. He is going to be unveiled and revealed in a very mysterious way. John 17, verse 12. Jesus speaking, while I was with them in the world, and he's praying to the Father, I kept them in thy name, those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost, but who? The son of perdition. Who's he talking about? Judas, right? He said, I didn't lose any of them, but Judas. Remember one time Jesus was up in the mountain praying all night long, he came back down and then he chose his disciples. And, and then later on in his ministry he said, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a what? A devil. a devil. What is a devil in the Bible? You have the devil and you have his devils. You could call them demons, nothing wrong with that. Uh, Greek word daimonion. But what is a devil? Fallen angel, right? Okay, fallen angel. Alright, so Jesus said, I've chosen one of you, and one of you is, not like, but is a devil. And then here Jesus says, uh, the only one I lost is the son of perdition. Not a son, but the son. Now when we quote John fourteen six, we say, Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, right? The way, the truth, not a truth. Not you have your truth and I have my truth, but the truth. And we're very emphatic about that article. It's the same thing here. He is the son of perdition. Who is? Judas. He was not just a man. He was a devil, the Bible says. That the scripture might be fulfilled. I'm just telling you clearly what Jesus said, alright? Acts chapter 1. G, uh, Peter tells us, where the son of perdition went after he hanged himself and fell off the cliff, if you piece it all together, and fell down to the, that great precipice onto the rocks below and his, his bowels gushed out. And after he died in infamy, then Peter tells us where he went to. So, 
Acts chapter 1 and verse 25. Jesus said he's the son of perdition, he's a devil. Peter, Jesus said, I lost him. And then Peter tells us where he went to. So Acts chapter 1 verse 25. And here it reads, if I'm going too fast, just say something. If, uh, if you want to, you just say, hold on, it won't bother me one bit. But I don't want to go too slow either. So, uh, alright, so chapter 1 verse 25. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. Alright, they're, they're going to call one or two men and they're going to use lots to do it. And to draw, and they're asking the Lord, Lord, give us the one that you want to replace Ju- Judas's spot. In the, uh, his bishopric. Uh, to be an apostle. So, they said that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. So, Peter tells us that when Judas fell, and when he died, this son of perdition went to his own place. Where is that? Well, Peter told us he's got his own place. But where is that? The book of Revelation tells us. So Revelation chapter 9. All the way back to the end of the Bible. Now you've got to admit, I'm elaborating. Okay, but I'm not trying to get my own spin on it. Just trying to read the Bible, believe what it says, as it says it, where it says it. And try not to give any extra commentary um, or stretch anything. But if we just believe what we're reading... This is what we find. Judas is the son of perdition. He was lost. He is a devil. Peter said he went to his own place. Revelation 9, verse 11 shows us. Now this would take a little bit more in-depth study, but, but I just challenge you to do it on your own time to just kind of get the whole context of what's happening here. But notice in verse 11, And they had a king. These, these weird creatures that came up out of the heart of the earth. They had a king over them. Which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is in the Hebrew tongue and is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past. So this king over these creatures is in the bottomless pit. All right. If you look at chapter seventeen of Revelation, verse eight. So what I'm trying to say is that the bottomless pit would be that place. Okay, and then chapter 17 and verse 8. Alright, now read this real close. Because this is too cool for Sunday school. This is the meat of the Word of God. Did you bring your steak sauce? Your steak knives? Amen. Who, who brought the baked potatoes? Somebody brought asparagus. If you want asparagus, on the, I knew I'd bring it in there somewhere. If you want asparagus on the way out, there's plenty of it there. And, and grab some of it. Uh, Miss uh, Deborah brought that for us, so we appreciate that. So he says, The beast that thou sawest, and is not. So just so you know, the beast is the Antichrist. You saw him, John, you saw him in your, in your vision... He was and is not. What happened? He was and is not. 
and shall ascend where? Out of the bottomless pit. You see it? He was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into, look at it, where? Perdition. He's the son of perdition. Shall go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. We'll look at it next time, next week. But it's not just talking about the beast. Okay, he was, he was Judas and then he was not because uh, he, Jesus lost him because he was really a devil. He betrayed Jesus and then he committed suicide, killed himself. He was and is not and then is again. That's not what it's talking about. I think that, that that is what happens. But he's saying, you saw the beast. We're in, we're in the tribulation now. You saw the beast. He was and is not. He died. We're going to study it next time. He takes a deadly wound. One of the, one of the heads of the, of the dragon. takes a, He has a deadly wound. He was, he is not. It's in the same chapter if you wanted to, to read it. It's in chapter 13 actually. And then he is again. So what's going to happen with this guy is the man of sin is going to have a deadly wound. And he's going to die halfway through the tribulation. Then he will be resurrected. And when he is resurrected, he will be the son of perdition. He will be Judas, resurrected, back to life. If you say, I can't understand it. And he'll, have, he'll take a, a wound in his right eye and, he'll, and it'll be covered up. It'll have a dark spot over it, it says. His eye will be dark. So I'm just saying... Maybe it's a patch. He'll have a problem with one of his arms. If you say to me, Pastor John, that is out there. Well, guys, uh, Moses and Elijah are going to come back to life and they're going to have a ministry in the tribulation. Yeah. Yep, you, you got me. That's where I was going to go. It's, it's exactly all it is. The devil is a counterfeit. Just like there's a counterfeit trinity in the Bible, that's the counterfeit Jesus. Resurrection, yes. And it's Satan embodied in a human body. Jesus was God embodied, God incarnate. Yes, Edward. So is Satan trying to be just like Jesus, but be in another way? Exactly, but in a bad, evil way. Yeah, exact same thing. So he, he will be, he'll be uh, under the power of Satan. It, it'll be... It'll be his version of Satan incarnate. It'll be Judas resurrected, the man of sin, the son of perdition. So the difference between the two is he's a man of sin for the first three and a half years. Then he is killed. And then when he comes back to life, we'll study the verses next time. Everybody's going to wonder. And they're going to be like, they're going to be like, who can make war with the beast? You can't stop this guy. You can't even kill him. You know, they're going to say, he ought to have his own shoes. You know, out of the way, Michael Jackson. He's going to get his own pair of Nikes, you know. He's going to be the greatest thing ever. They're going to say, who can beat this guy? Nobody can, but then Jesus is going to come back and he's going to show who can beat that guy. So, um, let's just finish it up in 2 Thessalonians. That's only the first time that we're going to hit that. We'll hit it again next week. But I wanted to show you the difference between those two titles in the meaning behind them. He can't, he, 
you know, he is the Antichrist here. He is. He's still the Antichrist here, but now something different has happened. He's resurrected and he's embodied uh, by Judas. Okay, so now, verse 4. Um, let's just see if we can finish up uh, verse 4 here. And I think we will stop at verse 4, verse 5. So, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. And that's the reason why I said that I don't believe that the Pope of the time, you know, a future Pope is going to be the Antichrist. It's possible. Maybe the Pope at that time will reject all biblical revelation. You know, and will actually oppose everything in the Bible. But he doesn't now. Maybe he will in the future. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. The, if you look at the King James translators and you read the epistle dedicatory, they say that the Antichrist is the Pope, right there in the King James Bible. Um, John said, I guess let's go there, let's, let's finish there. John said in uh, 1 John 2, uh, verse 18, I think. So, right before the book of Revelation, you have 1, 2, 3 John, and you have Jude. So, let's go to 1 John Go to the book of Revelation and hang a left. And 1 John chapter 2. John said there are many antichrists already in the world in the first century. And he lived to be, historians believe, about 90. So roughly 90 AD is where they put his writings. Um, and he said already there are many antichrists. What's an antichrist? They, they oppose God. They oppose Jesus Christ. And we got a bunch of them today. Yes, sir, we sure do. And uh, you just can't beat this Bible. It, we're, we're not trying to... Somebody said, we need to get back to the Bible. And then I heard another preacher say, we don't need to get back to the Bible. We need to catch up with the Bible. Because it's way ahead of us. But First uh, John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. You've been in the last days ever since Jesus came at the first advent. And they last from then until His second advent. It is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. So they talked about it all the way back then. So you kids, if you think we're crazy here tonight, Christians have been crazy for 2,000 years talking about the Antichrist. Uh, and I'm saying that jokingly, we're not crazy. But shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. You see that? Whereby we know that it is the last time. So the Antichrist shall come. Future. But right now, there's many Antichrists. And what I'm saying is that Antichrist is none other than Judas embodied. The son of perdition. And um, he is the beast. Alright, any questions about that? Um, this is the mystery of iniquity. So what we're, what we're looking at, the ministry of iniquity, it began with Judas. As best as I understand it right now, okay? It began with Judas. And it will reach its completion when the son of perdition comes back from the dead and then reigns, his reign of terror for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And when Jesus Christ comes back and destroys him with the power of his word and the brightness of his coming, that will be the completion of the mystery of iniquity. Okay, and we talked about that last time about what a mystery is. Um, so that is 
There are many antichrists that are like him. They're just types. And that's another way that Jesus is being um, uh, copied. Like the devil's a copycat. You heard about copycat people? The devil's a copycat. And so the son of perdition, he has types. Any antichrist today is a type of the coming antichrist. A picture of him. A small representation. But the fulfillment is yet to come. The Antichrist shall come. Alright. Alright, if there's nothing, I'll go ahead and pray. It's been good to be together. I hope you'll come back next Wednesday night. I hope you'll bring a friend. And uh, bring your steak sauce. Lord, we thank you so much tonight for what we've learned. We thank you for this great truth. It's very practical as well. I pray, Lord, that as Paul prayed, that our spirit, our soul, and our body would be preserved blameless. Help us, Lord. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. We desire to serve you. I pray as a church, Lord, that we would be revived in these last days, that you'd stir up within us a soul winner's uh, fire and give us soul winner's tears. Help us to get out and to evangelize. Help us, Lord, energize us for it, for the work. Fill us with your spirit. Uh, Lord, lead us and guide us and help us to to, uh, be preparing for our our revival meeting coming up and, and to be busy just trying to do the best we can. I praise you, Lord, for your people here. And, and we have seen people inviting folks to church and encouraging them to, to, uh, to be saved and all of those things. I just praise you for it. And I pray that you continue to use us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.